la guerre comme à la terre Je te prends à l'endurance À sang chaud, à sans fer Péter la panse à la pêche, à la lèche, à la crier, à la mer, à l'acheter, à froid, à chaud, à la lever, à l'anglaise, à faune, à la loyale, à la fourbe, à la sauvette et à fond de cale, à l'étroit, à la lettre, à plus d'heures, à tue-tête, à l'aube, à cran, à fond les manettes, à l'insu, à la coule, à la fraîche, à cul, à vélo, à volo, à pied, à menu, à corps perdu, à la louche, à la cuillère, à la mouche, à fâche, à se bouffe, à plusieurs, à pique, à trèfle, à carreau, à cœur, à l'envol, à part, à poids, ailleurs, à poids, à rayure, à peur, à la dure, à l'aventure, à la tienne, à la voyure, à la voile, à à l'encolure à l'antenne, à l'avantage, à l'ouverture, à la sauvage, à la à l'usure, à l'étage, à la scène, à la vie, à la mort, à l'étouffe, à fond, ailleurs, à du Allez à bout de souffle, je te This is the Living Writer Show on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. I'm Amanda Yuli, your summer host, filling in for T. Hetzel, who is our regular host. Um, and we're taping a show today. It's June 26, 2018, and we are live um, in the Ann Arbor studio. Or, I'm sorry, we are taped in the Ann Arbor studio. Um, and we're so pleased to have uh, Fatima Farheen Mirza here uh, with us. Welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. So glad that you are here. I am going to read just a little bit about you to start us off for listeners who are new um, to you and your work. Um, and then I want you to tell us about your novel, which was published just this month in June. Mm-hmm. Um, and your novel is called A Place for Us. Uh, Fatima Farheen Mirza was born in California in 1991 and was raised there. She is a graduate of the Iowa Writers Workshop, where she was a teaching writing fellow. She lives in New York. A Place for Us is her first novel. Welcome. Hi. Yeah. This is one of your first times to Ann Arbor, you, you told me? Yes. Yes. What has brought you here before? Was it Literati Bookstore? Um, my, my cousins live in Detroit, and so oh. I had visited a few years ago. Welcome back. Yeah. And you're at Literati Bookstore. Tonight. This evening. Yes. And our listeners will have hopefully been to your event at Literati and will right. hear this the I can't, next day. I can't wait to visit. I've been looking forward to this event since I first learned about it. That is just a treasured place. It is a wonderful uh, gem in our in our town. And mm-hmm. in the world of books and publishing, mm-hmm. you, you know about Literati from... Yes. And also this year, I um, also learned about the notes from a typewriter. Oh, yes. And that's been so exciting to follow that project and to follow them on Instagram, too. It's been, yeah, so I'm excited to go and see. I hope you've planned what you're going to type on the typewriter this evening when you're there. I don't know if I ever plan what I'll type before I type it. (laughs) (laughs) That's a big statement. Okay. (laughs) We'll get back to that later, I think. Um, For now, I think it would be really lovely for our listeners for you to sort of introduce your book, A Place for Us, uh, for those who haven't read it yet. 
So A Place for Us is a novel about a family, and it begins when the youngest son, Amar, returns home to attend his sister's wedding, and you soon find out that he's run away. He had run away three years ago, and he hasn't been in contact with the family. And so the wedding is his first time seeing them again, and um, from there the novel dives into moments of the family's past. Um, not in a chronological order, until a picture emerges that tells readers, you know, the full scope of why he ran away. And so you understand what it means now that he's back and that he's interacting with these characters again. And then you're back at the wedding. Mm-hmm. And that's what it's about on a on a plot level. But um, really, I wanted to explore, um, you know, how 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 are we informed how are our personalities formed by our siblings mm-hmm. how um you know what is the effect that the similar family environment will have on different children um and and you know yeah i'd love for you to talk more about that notion of siblings and yes. the reason i ask is that um listeners to the living writer show uh will know that last week we talked to hannah petard whose novel um, whose recent novel, Visible Empire, and whose other novels, too, have all these amazingly complex and important sibling relationships. Um, and reading both your novels and myself <laughs> over the last right. few weeks, it really struck me um, that, that that's somewhat unusual. Can you talk more about that, that sibling? Yeah. Uh, one thing I really wanted to do in the novel is chart um, the big the big loves in one's life that are not often the first love that you think of. When you think of the big love, it's like your first love or your your partner. But I really wanted to know what are the other big loves that, that make up your life that are not, that I haven't seen charted in fiction in the way that I wanted to approach them. Um, and so one of those is, you know, a love a father has for his son um, or a love a daughter has for her mother or, um, you know, in the case of Hadia and Amar, the two siblings, I really wanted to focus on their relationship that they have with each other and how that changes over time and how their personalities affect one another. Um, you know, Hadia is somebody who the family's Muslim and um, the parents are trying to raise their children in um, trying to raise their children to like adhere to those values and the customs and the rituals that they hold dear. And um, I wondered, you know, what would it be like for a kid like Amar, who is somebody who's who questions those things to grow up with a sister like Hadia, who is um, makes a point to like make her family proud of her and who will take upon, you know, the expectations that her family has for her and fulfill them wholeheartedly, sometimes even at the expense of her true desires. Um, So. I was just, I was, you know, entering these scenes and wondering what kind of effect does that have on a kid like Amar who doesn't want to do something that he doesn't want to do naturally? And how does that dynamic play itself out over the course of their lives? How does that affect them when they're third graders and sixth graders? Um, And how does that same, you know, pressure rise up when they're older? How does Amar um, maybe... maybe feel like there's no point in trying because Hadia does so well the things that she does so well Mm -hmm. that there's no point in him trying so he kind of taps out you know and then how does that same you know how does for Hadia how does seeing the fact that his lack of caring or lack of respect you know 
how does that make her feel for her parents in a way that makes her feel like, okay, now I have to do more to make up for for his disappointment. So things like that I was thinking about, you know, when they're, whether they're, um, you know, relating to their academic life or their faith in the family or, you know, the things that their father wants them to do. And so you did such a wonderful job of portraying those two kinds of personalities um, over time. So you were mentioning there's when they're third graders and then there's uh, when they're older school age students. Mm. And then by the time it's the wedding, um, how can you talk about how you um, were able to sort of inhabit uh, those two very strong personalities and then um, how you developed, how they changed? Um, because it's not that, I guess in my reading, even though it was very, um, you did a great job of um, having those traits be very strong and it was very distinct mm-hmm. uh, how Hadia would behave and how Amar would behave. Mm-hmm. As you said, things progressed and changed as mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, their their uh, right. lives did right. and as they each behaved that way. It's funny that you mentioned that. That was one of the most fun parts of writing the novel for me is was entering these characters' lives at, at different moments and really asking, what are they like in this at this moment? And, and I would always... I would always enter a scene asking the character to to guide me through it. And so um, one, you know, so Amar, he, he has a lot of trouble. Um, he has a lot of trouble in school when he's in third grade and, uh, or that begins when he's in third grade. And it also, um, you know, worsens as he gets older. Um, but it was interesting for me because I knew where he would be at 17. I knew that, oh, he'd be struggling with the question, like, will I even graduate? But I didn't know how he would be in third grade, right? Mm-hmm. And so when I would enter a scene with Hadia, when she's observing her mother, brother at that age, suddenly some of the details that were that were just arriving as I was writing was, you know, Hadia feeling, Hadia noting like, oh, he's having trouble making friends in school or keeping friends in school or, oh, he's having trouble concentrating and he's doing really badly on his spelling test. She's such an observant character, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so that was fun to realize, like, no matter, you you know, a person is like a river and no, no matter what point you enter their life, the details around it will change, but something will remain consistent in yes. how they approach the world. Yes, you did that so well. Um, so I wanted to talk about just the nature of the book. It struck me um, as a real family epic. You know, you're yeah. you're hearing the reader is learning about um, different family members, each from their own perspective at times. Um, and it really uh, travels over time, over many many decades Decades. yeah Yeah. i was just trying to estimate how many and i I guess i can't it it does go back at one point i did the math and now that math is leaving me (laughs) and i'm I'm glad that it is okay i don't think i could estimate it but generations we will say yeah of this family and so it struck me um you know it was reminiscent for me of books like um Jeffrey Eugenides, Middlesex, or like Jane Smiley's A Thousand Acres, you know, these Mm -hmm. sort of big family books. Um, Did you set out to write a book like that, uh, that has that uh, generations long Hmm. resonance? Not intentionally. I set out to understand the, a moment at the the wedding um, that there's this moment I knew 
that the characters would arrive at at the wedding when they're gathered to take the photograph for Hadia's a, fa- a family photograph. And the, the family's looking out and wondering, like, is Amar going to make it in time for this photograph? And so that was the moment that I was trying to arrive at. And in order to understand that moment and and really ask, like, how is each family member um, responsible for for that moment in in ways that um, they don't even remember. Like, how did Amar, Hadia approach Amar when he was a boy that, you know, at some, you know, mysterious way might have um, avalanched into that moment at the wedding mm-hmm. um, in a way that you can't trace, but it's it's just there in their lives. Um, Although you did trace it in, so, in many I, ways. Yeah, <laughs> I tried to trace it, uh-huh. but, I, but in tracing it, I didn't, I don't think that, like, you know, because Hadia treated him like this at 12, he, there's a situation where he doesn't, he, he, he might not make it for her family photograph at the wedding. But I wanted to, to just ask, what were these moments that, that really altered these characters' lives, that really affected their destiny in a way that they might not even remember? Um, but the readers can wonder, okay, was it that moment or was it another moment? Or, um, But I remember when it first occurred to me that I was um, the the way I was writing the novel was allowing me to enter these characters' lives at you know with Hadia especially I could be with her from before she was even born because I was in Layla's consciousness you know before she even marries Rafiq and I also know that towards the end of the novel Hadia's in her late thirties and so when that first occurred to me that oh my God I I can understand what it was like to be this woman, not understand, but I can try my best to witness what it was like to be this woman for, you know, 38 years of her life or 35 years of her life. Um, That felt so exciting. And I remember asking myself, like, how can I most take advantage of that? Or, um, yeah, how can I have fun with that? And I remember um, placing her near the plum tree in her backyard at different moments was one way to access that because Hadia changes throughout her life. She's a mm-hmm. very different woman at 30 than she is at five. But when, but the, because the characters never move out of this, the one house that they live in, mm-hmm. I was able to watch her at five by the plum tree and then also see her beneath it as a teenager. And that was really yes. fun for me to, and fun. And also it felt like such a privilege that um and a responsibility that i okay fatma now do your best by her (laughs) life if you've allowed yourself to Mm -hmm. um try to understand it throughout these years yeah that's beautiful but um what did you say a moment ago about people as rivers i i just messed it up um, you said something i was just thinking like um a person is i don't even know what i meant when i was saying that but I, i guess i can try to return to it um I was just wondering that or thinking that like, you know, what is consistent in a person is consistent. What is in their personality or their soul or the way that they observe. You were talking about how Hadi observes throughout her life. Um, That is consistent and you can enter it at any moment in their life and find um, clues to who they'll become or who they've been at those moments. When Hadia is um, in preschool, I'm... There's a scene when Layla's with her and she's already so anxious, you know, Hadia. She's already asking her mom, like, um, 
because her father's about to go away for a business trip and you can already tell that she's thinking like is it going to be okay you know and she's only four mm-hmm. and she's also wanting to share with her mother like how much she likes school she's like mommy I'm I'm really loving preschool and so things like that even though at five she's so different than she is much later there there's traces of who she'll become and who she's always been yes yes exactly Um, Well, thank you for showing that to us uh, in your novel. Uh, We are talking to Fatima Farheen, excuse me, (laughs) Fatima Farheen Mirza, author of A Place for Us. And we are going to ask Frank Uli, our wonderful engineer for the show, to to give us a musical break. This is The Living Writers Show on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Come up to meet you, tell you I'm sorry. And that was Coldplay, mm-hmm. The Scientist. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about why you chose that song? Sure. Um, there were different... Because I was working through different perspectives, uh-huh. and each perspective has such a different way of observing the world or um, concerns they're facing at a, at a moment in their life, or even the prose, the tone, the scene, or um, um, characters consciousness takes on, I one way that would help me get in the mind of certain characters was listening to different songs. And this song was one that would help me um, access Amar's mind when he's thinking of Amira. And Amira is one of the love interests in his life. And she's a girl that he's known his whole life because they were, they're raised in the same community, the same mosque community and their, their parents are family friends. And, um, his relationship with Amira is one that's that the novel aims to chart. Um, and so this song would help me, you know, kind of get into that headspace because Amara is so young when he falls in love with her. He's 17. And mm-hmm. um, I started the novel when I was 18 and, and I worked on it for um, until now. And um, so, so I just wanted to... Re- find my way back into like that ache of one's first love or the ache of losing one's first love. And so this song in particular helped me do that. And when you were talking earlier about um, the way that characters observe one another, Mm -hmm. sometimes there are certain lyrics that help me um, think about what my values are when I'm approaching a scene. So the line where it's like, you don't know how lovely you are, that kind of touches upon 
here's a mind that's that's thinking about the way that they observe another character that or for me it was a character but for you know the speaker mm-hmm. of the song it was whoever he's thinking about um and so that would also help me be like ask myself like okay what is Amar observing how is he thinking of Amira Right. We are speaking to Fatima Farheen Mirza, author of A Place for Us. This is The Living Writer Show in WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Um, you mentioned something a moment ago that I want you to elaborate on, if you will, about your your values. Did you say your values when you're approaching a scene? Oh, um, it's funny. That? I say these things and I... and um, So I guess what I mean by that is um, I think that when you are inhabiting a character and you're in some ways you're not in control it's the character that's in control of what their story is and in some ways you you are in control and that you're you're choosing what the character is seeing mm-hmm. and you're choosing what they're thinking about mm-hmm. and i think that reveals something about um that seeing you know, what a character chooses to value enough to note or how a character returns to a moment enough to, to um, make sense of it or what they're trying to trace back. I think that does reveal something about the character's value. Not value, yes. but the what the character values. Yes. Um, for example, with um, Hadia, the past sections that, that, that are presented, those scenes... They're 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 operating on a plot level, yeah. where she's an older sister who's watching her brother study for a spelling test, and she's mm-hmm. helping him, and she's wondering. Um, but they're also oper beneath that. They're also operating on um, two layers. One is the layer, and. I, Tell me if I'm not making sense. You're making sense. But yeah. <laughs> one is the layer that exists after the novel has already been created, right? Or has already been completed. Yes. And that's Hadia in, in the future, whose, whose consciousness is the one that's driving what the scenes are. Right. And she's returning to that particular moment to figure something out, to, f- to figure out. And then the way that she's observing Amar telling, you know, studying for that test in that observation is this lurking fear. Do I want him to succeed? Mm-hmm. What will my place in the family be if he does start to succeed? Because I have been the one who's been academically successful, and that's right. how I've defined myself. And so that's not evoked so that's not expressed so explicitly, but yes. it's in the it's in the scene. Or when the mother is um, Layla, she's watching. Hadia is watching Layla interact with Amar in that moment, and the mother's like, I'm so proud of you for studying. And Hadia's thought is, well, they've never told me that, right? right. And so so I guess the in terms of like the what, what the character is valuing in that moment is Hadia is trying to understand um, her own guilt. Hadia is trying to understand how she how she had a hand in how her brother approached his life. She's trying to understand, you know, did my jealousy affect the way I moved towards my brother or did my the way that I thought of my own identity s- stunt how my brother could approach his identity? And so, yes. yeah. Does that make sense? It does. No it's, no, it's perfect. So many of the things that I've heard you say in the course of this conversation make me want to ask about um, kind of how deeply you inhabited the characters that you wrote about in this book and then how much or maybe how little um, 
the process of writing this novel consumed you. I heard you, <laughs> I heard you say a moment ago you started this novel when you were 18. Yes. And then you said until now, well, which I think is like a beautiful thing to say about a novel that is already out. Oh, right. <laughs> like, um, I guess it because is, I still kind of Right. Well, well, I submitted the final final draft um March of this year. So when oh, I was wow. 26 mm-hmm. and that was like my last, you know, my last week with with the novel um Mm-hmm. And that's till now. Yeah. Yeah. So, th- so it just feels very recent. Of course. Um, yes. And it feels like that's a long time. If you're 26 now and you were, working, I'm 27 now. I'm sorry. 27 yeah. now. Yeah. And then you were working on the novel for all those years. I, well, I was year. an undergrad yeah. while I was working uh-huh. on it. And uh-huh. then after that I was, I was in Iowa. And so, uh-huh. and in undergrad, I had started as a pre-med major. Well, not a pre-med major, but I had started taking pre-med courses and I was so lucky that the creative there was a creative writing department at UC Riverside because I switched. And so everything in my life started to feed the novel and mm-hmm. like the classes that I was taking were helping instruct me, um, you know, how, how, do, how can I write a novel? How does one write fiction? What kind of fiction do I want to write? And then after that, I went to Iowa. And so, and Iowa really allowed me to make the novel the center of my of my days and for until I was done working on it that was just my that was my highest goal like that was my the goal of every day was trying to understand the characters a little bit better trying to yeah and what a gift to be in Iowa and to be able to have that time yeah, to focus yeah it was amazing it was amazing on so many levels one was like you said just the time the other was mm. just the access to a community of people who who have also made a commitment to to fiction or to mm-hmm. their work, their poetry, and and just to be around that and how um, energizing it was, yeah. and also the faculty that I worked with there. It's it was, on every level. It was just so. It was so. Um, yeah, I, I I miss it all the time. <laughs> but yeah, you you great. left there last year, and worked. Yeah, is that right? Because okay. mm-hmm. I stayed on to teach. Aha! Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, congratulations on the Thank publication you. of your novel. Um, the novel is a place for us. We're speaking to Fatima Farheen Mirza. Um, this is a Living Writers Show on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. We're going to take another musical break, and then we'll be back. Welcome back. 
I'm Amanda Yuli here with The Living Writers Show. Uh, we have our guest today, uh, Fatima Farheen Mirza, who's going to read a bit from her new novel, A Place for Us. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Are you going to start at the beginning? Yes. Is that the plan? So I'll start at the very beginning and I'll read. So the novel is told in revolving perspectives. Amar, the son, Hadia, the sister, and the mother, Leila. And so I'll read from the first few pages, and it'll be um, inhabiting Amar's perspective first, and then Hadia's. As Amar watched the hall fill with guests arriving for his sister's wedding, he promised himself he would stay. It was his duty tonight to greet them. A simple task, one he told himself he could do well and he took pride in stepping forward to shake the hands of the men or hold his hand over his heart to pay the women respect. He hadn't expected his smile to mirror those who seemed happy to see him. Nor had he anticipated the startling comfort in the familiarity of their faces. It had really been three years. Had it not been for his sister's call, he might have allowed even more years to pass before summoning the courage to return. He touched his tie to make sure it was centered. He smoothed down his hair, as if a stray strand would be enough to call attention, give him away. An old family friend called out his name and hugged him. What would he tell them if they asked where he had been and how he was doing? The sounds of the Shanai started up to signal the commencement of Hadia's wedding, and suddenly the hall was brought to life. There... Beneath the golden glow of the chandeliers and surrounded by the bright colors of the women's dresses, Amar thought maybe he had been right to come. He could convince them all. The familiar faces, his mother who he sensed checking on him as she moved about, his father who maintained his distance, he could even convince himself that he belonged here, that he could wear the suit and play the part, be who he had been before. And, his, and assume his role tonight as brother of the bride. It had been Hadia's decision to invite him. She watched her sister Huda get ready and hoped it had not been a mistake. That morning, Hadia had woken with her brother on her mind, and all day she willed herself to think as other brides must, that she would be using the word husband when speaking of Tharik now, that after years of wondering if they would make it to this moment, they had arrived. What she had not even dared to believe possible for her was coming true, marrying a man she had chosen for herself. Amar had come as she had hoped, but when she was shocked at the sight of him, she realized she never actually believed he would. Three years had passed with no news from him. On the day she told her parents she would invite him, she had not allowed herself to pray, Please God, have him come, but only, Please God, let my father not deny me this. She had practiced her words until her delivery was so steady and confident any onlooker would think she was a woman who effortlessly declared her wishes. Huda finished applying her lipstick and was fastening the pin of her silver hijab. She looked beautiful. Dressed in a navy sari stitched with silver beadwork, the same sari that a handful of Hadia's closest friends would be wearing. There was an excitement about her sister that Hadia could not muster for herself. Will you keep an eye on him tonight? Hadia asked. Huda held her arm up to slip rows of silver bangles over her wrist, each one falling with a click. She turned from the mirror to face Hadia. 
Why did you call him if you didn't want him to come? Hadia studied her hands, covered in dark henna. She pressed her, pressed her fingernails into her arm. It's my wedding day. An obvious statement, but it was true. It did not matter if she had not heard from her brother in years. She could not imagine this day without him. But relief at the sight of Amar brought with it that old shadow of worry for him. Will you call him here? Hadia said. And when he comes, will you give us a moment alone? She returned Huda's gaze then. And though Huda looked briefly hurt, she didn't ask Hadia to share what she was and always had been excluded from. Thank you for reading that. The thing that strikes me um, about that first scene that you read from in the book and throughout the book is you have a very, very prominent uh, throughout the novel, this image of the wedding, mm-hmm. um, the wedding photo and the wedding itself. Um, but another theme that I saw in the book was betrayal, mm-hmm. which I think is such an interesting yes. um, counterpoint to a wedding. Yeah. <laughs> Can you talk about the the betrayals? I mean, I, first of all, I'm interested whether you you saw that and yeah. you planned for that, and then the different betrayals in the book between um, expectation and mm-hmm. reality and cultures. Yeah, betrayal and loyalty um, were two things that I was really interested in exploring in this family, um, especially because you know your family; those are the people that you are most loyal to. And they are also the people that you are, because you're you're so loyal to them. You're also though that's the the betray. The, those are the betrayals that you're most um, capable of making, you know, or like the most painfully felt ones. Because, you know, as a, as a sister who is loyal to her brother, the the betrayals that you, that you might commit against him are the most keenly felt because that the bond is so. Um, is so strong. And so I was also wondering, um, not only how does betrayal and loyalty play itself out in a family, but also how, what are the different kinds of betrayals or what are the kind of betrayals that, that you find yourself in an impossible situation where, so one, one thing that I was really interested in was how, you know, so this family, they they have a set way that they want to be. The, the parents have very um, particular expectations of their children. They want them to uphold the same values as them. They want them to practice the faith, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, and the children, they find themselves in this tricky situation where sometimes it feels like to be loyal to themselves, to listen to their own needs and own wants would be to betray the home that they've come from. And so how do they navigate that when it's not a, a betrayal that's made out of, um, you know, anger or um, small heartedness, but it's like a, it's like a betrayal that you just, either you make it or you don't, and you can't, you can't help, you know, it's just who you are. And so you either swallow who you are or you, or you, um, stand by who you are in these moments. And so I was really wondering what is that like too for Amar, Amar in particular, mm-hmm. where he's questioning parts of the faith or questioning the way that he um, embodies it or not and how, or even questioning, you know, um, small things like what does he want to pursue in terms of he wants to write instead of, you know, just how he navigates all kinds of expectations that his family has for him. What, what, what is it like when 
you're faced with that kind of um, like pull or that kind of pressure. Yeah, it's beautifully done, I think, on many levels in the book, that, that sense of expectation and not meeting expectations within families and otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, so speaking of families, I, I always am interested when I read a novel like this one, which, as we were mentioning before, spans so many decades and is so complex. Um, I'm really interested in how you set about to plan it or whether it had... Um, some spontaneity to it in terms of sitting down and letting these events and these characters unfold. Um, I have to think that you were pretty meticulous about uh, knowing in advance what this family would go through. Can Mm -hmm. you talk about that planning process? So I love how you talked about spontaneity in terms of, um, in terms of understanding um, when trying to explore like, okay, what happened to this family? What did they go through? Entering those scenes, it was completely spontaneous. I was I was completely blind when entering a scene with Layla at 26 when she's waking her daughters up for school um, as to like why that particular moment and and why that you know day and not any other and those and then if eventually if i sat with that scene long enough it occurred to me like oh this is the day that she first becomes aware that she's pregnant with amar mm-hmm. so that's why that makes sense and this is also the same week that rafiq begins his job where he's going to be traveling a lot um and so w- what does that do to a woman who's pregnant who's you know in some level this is the first time that her husband's traveling a lot for work and she's carrying this child and how does that affect you know I, I don't arrive at any answers but I just w- move through these scenes wondering how is the way that Hadia and Huda were you know um, growing in Leila or growing in life uh, different because their father was much more present than Amar who's who's Layla becomes aware that she's pregnant with him at a time that Rafiq just starts traveling a lot and she's stressed about that and she's never mm-hmm. suddenly she has to you know raise her daughters alone for days at a time almost another betrayal in the novel right but then yeah. and then we see how like Amar's relationship with his father is so different throughout his life than the daughters and I don't think it's like because of that but I wonder you know well you ask the reader to wonder I yeah. think you present a number of situations like that where the reader can draw conclusions um, or not I actually completely forgot your question before. That's okay. What you answered was very interesting, but I'm going to ask again (laughs) about that planning process. Oh, yes. Yeah. So in the beginning, did you say this, you know, this will happen to Amar, this is his fate? Right. So entering them was like not planned at all. I was almost writing out and I had... I had this folder in my in my laptop that was insanity in terms of it was like Layla twenty six, Hadia ten, you know, and so and and the scene would be a complete scene, um, but I didn't know how they would fit together, and I didn't know why I was entering them until after I had already finished wow, them. So you wrote scenes yeah. for characters and ages, yes, separately, separately, yeah, and, and there then was you. there. I just wrote completely out uh-huh. because I, I knew once I knew that I was going to arrive at the wedding I didn't want to stay at the wedding until I fully knew what were all the forces that brought them there yeah. in these small small ways um, and what were the moments in their lives that kind of altered the way that they were relating to one another in these tiniest of, of ways that you know take on momentum 
I'm as almost, they continue. Excuse me. I'm almost picturing like the physicality of index cards or something. Yes, like, I had totally. Yeah. Did you have index in the cards? end? I had an index card. I had uh-huh. an index card. I had different colored index cards. So Hadia's was blue. I don't know why I'm telling you this, but this Amar's is exactly was what red. I wanted to know when yeah. I read the novel. Layla's was yellow, <laughs> uh-huh. and so the index card was broken down by, um, you know, what happens, and then I would ask myself what needs to happen before the novel mm-hmm. for this scene to be, you know, make sense or be arrived at. What needs to happen after. Um, and then I laid those index cards out and I kind of figured out as a puzzle what makes the most sense. And then and then I knew, you know, of course, like Amar has to meet Amira at 17 very early on in the novel. If towards the end of the part two, we're, we're, they're dealing with what their relationship has become and where they're, what they're going to do with it. And so things like that were fixtures that the rest of the scenes fell into place around. Mm-hmm. And then once I had written... I knew when things would come, then it was a matter of going back to each of those scenes and tightening them and and leading up to them. Like one thing mm-hmm. is um, this thread of the watch. The, the, yes. uh, Rafiq has a watch that he inherits from his father, which was a gift from Rafiq's father. Mm-hmm. And no, no, sorry. Grant, Grant, the other Grant, father, yeah, yes. Yeah, the other, the other father. <laughs> Generation before. Yes. And so once I knew that the watch is going to be gifted to a certain child in one scene, I had to go back to the earlier scenes and be like, what are the moments where I can um, gear readers up to understanding what the significance of that watch is? Right. And so, so it was a lot of like just writing out into the dark, then seeing what I've done and trying to put it together and then just like editing it over and over and over again to try to make it as tight as I could. The way that I thought about it was that each perspective is like a finger, mm-hmm. you know, in my hand and that I would put the perspectives together and it was like the fingers are coming together, Mesh together. meshing together. And yeah. then with editing, it's like now how can I tighten them until yes. it becomes two fists holding each other? Yes. And so that's how I was thinking about it. And so it was both in the dark and, and then trying really hard to see what I had done and make that make sense. And I can imagine that many, uh, maybe not many, but some of the scenes that you wrote independently w- mm-hmm. without knowing that plan, mm-hmm. that finger mesh plan, mm-hmm. um, went away. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, because, and the way that they went away is asking myself, what have I learned something so new about these characters or have I just arrived at a truth that is redundant? Yes. And so if the, if the latter, then you can just cut it. Right. Right. And that's a painful process. I think No, that was so exciting. That was my, really, that was, that was the best part of it. I think because, um, and I, my editors really helped me with this Mm -hmm. too, because Mm -hmm. the novel was so much bigger before they, we're like, okay, Fatma, this is, you know, <laughs> and so we, mm-hmm. we cut back a lot, but every time I cut, you know, right before it would be anxiety producing because I'd see like the strike through and I would think like, okay, can I cut this? Can I not cut this? But then once I actually made that deletion, it was so thrilling because I kept thinking like, okay, now it's a stronger book, you know? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's hard to do for some people. It sounds like it was fun for you. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take a music break. Uh, we are here on the Living Writers Show with Fatima Farheen Mirza and I am Amanda Yuli, your host. We're going to hear Iron and Wine.
Iron and Wine. Um, I can only imagine that you chose that song because of Amar. Yeah. Mother Don't Worry. Yes. yes. Um, this song, it's such a heartbreaking song. It might be one of the one of the saddest songs that I've ever heard. And also well, Iron, Iron and Wine for you. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and the, their lyrics are just so amazing and beautiful. Uh-huh. Sometimes when I teach creative writing, I'll bring their songs in to, to you know, talk through with my students. But this song in particular is one that, with certain scenes surrounding Leila and Amar, I would listen to to get me into um, that tone. Um, you know, this this son who's who's speaking to his mother, who is trying to convince her, like, "Don't worry about me. Don't worry about me." Through these like details, like, "Don't worry. Like, I have a coat." You know, and just right. like that reveals how much the mom should actually be worrying, like what must you be going through, that that's something that you're, you know, and um, yeah, it just helped me return to that, to certain scenes around Leila and Amar where one Amar is almost like hopelessly lost and still so earnest and Leila is, just has the burden of, of loving and being a mother to that kind of a son that mm-hmm. that is hopelessly lost but you can't help but feel for him right um so one of the things i wanted to talk to you about is the kind of beautiful and i think it, it's rare um the kind of even-handed way that you handle religion in the book mm. um i think it you know many writers would have um been either entirely reverent or entirely hmm. uh, sort of disparaging and and mm-hmm. I think that you have this um, you had a beautiful way of honoring the traditions of fasting and Ramadan and um, but also honoring kind of Amar's perspective yeah. of questioning right can you talk about that a little bit yeah. and how yeah mm-hmm. how that came together in the book I to me it wasn't how do i approach religion how do i approach the faith but it was really asking how do how do each of these characters approach their faith and so when you are inhabiting it through leila's perspective you do see that it is it, it is more her approach is more adoring and less questioning and she seeks it out honestly and as a way as a way to feel comfort um, and then, like you said, when you're with Amar, it is more questioning and more trying to understand it and break it down and figure out, like, how, what do I believe, right? And so, 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 I, I suppose that you know, the novel is about this family that falls apart and trying to figure out all the reasons that they fell apart, moments in their life, and also the way that they approach the very basic things. Um, you know what they make of their religion, or what they make of their um, the obligations that they have to their family, and how they relate to it. And so, I, I wanted to understand what because faith is such an important um, you know fixture in this family's life. It, it informs yes. their, the texture of their days. It informs the way that they think without realizing that that's how they're thinking. Like Hadia, you know there's a moment that's passed unseen between her and a boy and she crushes on and she just thinks like, Oh, thank God no one saw it. Right. And so just to, I just really wanted to know how each character relates to their faith. And that was kind of an exciting exploration for me because in the end, what I realized is that that relationship 
you know, earlier when I was think, talking about the big loves in one's life or like the big relationships in one's life, what I realized about the individual and their relationship to their faith is that that is one of the most personal ones and the most un unspeakable ones like you cannot communicate actually what right. your relationship to that is to another person and people make assumptions based off of how you're practicing or not you know everyone in the family assumes that Amar is the lost one and he's the one who's because he hasn't been the one who's been upholding the rituals but when you're in his mind you also see that he's the one who's engaging with the stories that his mother told him as a kid mm-hmm. in a in a way that does question them but also considers them, right? They and are honors some, them. And honors them. And mm-hmm. whereas with Hadia, you can see how she's like embodying certain rituals, but she's not thinking about her life. Oops. Sorry, I almost <laughs> dropped my coffee. That's, that was a moment of excitement on yeah. the Living Writer Show. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was really interesting uh-huh. that to feel like the family from the outside cannot know how each of them actually relates to the faith and thinks like, oh, well, Amar is the one who engages with the least because openly he is the one who engages with the least. But one never knows. But right. one never knows. Right. Um, you mentioned, well, first you mentioned um, that you use the iron and wine uh, <laughs> a catalog a little bit in your teaching of writing. Um, and it reminded me that you teach writing. And you mentioned to me before the show started that you did some teaching for 826NYC. Yes. Which I was so delighted to hear about. So I would love to hear about... Um, you're, you're te- teaching a writing, first of all, but then more generally for our listeners, advice you may have for aspiring writers. Um, I love teaching writing. I feel like it's the closest that you can come to writing, right? Um, is well, teaching I guess, it? Well, I guess reading it. Um, I think reading it is reading part of is, that too. Yeah, mm-hmm. but then teaching it is, is another way to just engage with you know writing. and. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love teaching at A26. I was so lucky to work with... Uh, a class of t- two classes of 10th graders on their personal narratives and mm-hmm. it's such an amazing age because they're old enough to know which memories have stayed with them and they're but they're they have they're and like they're like beginning to use language as a way to like articulate themselves and return mm-hmm. to those memories but they're that kind of self-consciousness that sometimes I find when teaching undergrad is not there yet you know they're mm-hmm. a lot more um, free um, and willing to take risks with their writing, um, but how, how do you um, how do you make sure people take risks with their writing when they're not tenth graders? Hmm. <laughs> because I think you're right. I think that tenth graders yeah. and certainly eight year olds, you know, the young mm-hmm. people, the younger you are, and mm-hmm. this is like the joy of eight two six, right? The mm-hmm. the youngest writers are the bravest, <laughs> um, but writers yeah. who are listening to this program who might not be in school <laughs> right well um, yeah how do you do that to me how i did it or how how i um allowed myself to take a risk is that i tried my best to 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 push myself out of the process to really like ask who are the characters and how can i just submit to them in a weird way like how can i just become the person who's following them and and not think about myself and how maybe my self-consciousness about the project or my doubts about my own abilities is creeping in um you know there are moments when i'm thinking like maybe it's boring that this character is thinking about her relationship to her faith Mm -hmm. or maybe it's it's like who cares what a young love is like you know what i mean like that's so 
that's like a childish territory to explore. But those are those are my voices. That's my um, Fatima voice speaking. Yeah. But to to then sit with the page and say, no, what does Layla want to think about when she's at an airport? And she does want to think about how, even though she's alone, she's going to pray. And so even if I'm thinking like that'll be boring to a reader, mm-hmm. Layla doesn't think it's boring to her own life. To embrace that. Yeah, and I try to do my best to to move out of the way so that I can just be what they need me to be. Mm-hmm. And maybe young love is something that you know people might scoff at but for Amar that is what is those are the moments that he's most feeling a charge running through his body and through his he's like feeling electric so why can't I allow him to explore that we've talked so much about your um, inhabiting these characters and how you do it and how you become brave in those spaces I, I would love to hear the nuts and bolts about how you write. Is it? Are you a morning writer? Mm. Do you write at the cafe? Is there music? Like, tell us, tell us more about that. I try to trick myself. <laughs> so if I'm if I I wake up and I try to do it right away. Well, right now I'm not. You know, you're not writing. Sure, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, but when I was writing the novel, I tried to wake up and I tried to get to it right away because that's before. Kind of like when I was just speaking about. I try to move myself out of the process as much as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the longer that I'm awake, I'm thinking, oh, have I called my friend? Have I done this? Have I done that? But if I try to get to it right away, then I'm none of those things yet. In a weird way, sometimes I would try not to, when I really needed to, like, just start writing, I would avoid mirrors. I've never really said that to anyone before. Yeah, like, I would try not to, like, look in the mirror. So you don't want to think too consciously. Or I just didn't want to be... You know, when you look in the mirror, you're like, oh, I'm Fatima, right? But then, so I, I was just trying to, like, get to it right away. And then I would trick myself, like, a few hours. And I'm, um, you know, have can't really work anymore at the desk in my kitchen or at the de- at my desk. So then I'd go to a cafe. Uh, or if I'm working in a computer, but then I, I reach a stopping point and I can't, then I'm like, let me trick myself and now work in my journal. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that's how I would work tricking oneself yeah to try to get yourself to keep going (laughs) (laughs) i think everyone has to do some of that Mm -hmm. um so i always ask our guests on the show to tell us about what you're reading now Mm. uh and whether you recommend it or what what you recommend um do you have any time on a book tour to read yes i hope so i mean it just began so i'm really (laughs) hoping that in the airplanes i'll I'll get Uh to read right now i Right now, I um, just bought uh, Rachel Cusk's um, ah, outline. Have you read the other? Oh, you bought outline. Yeah, I bought outline, and so I'm only two pages in. Okay. Um, but I'm really excited to keep reading it. She has a new one. Yeah. Well, yes, I think the third one in the trilogy. The and third so one I'm, came up. I've read the other two, and I'm uh-huh. looking forward to. Yeah. That well, have you read the others? No. Uh-huh. No. So I'm. This is my first time reading her, so I'm uh-huh. excited to dive in. Um, she has such a unique voice. Awesome. Yeah. I, yeah. I can't wait to, you know. I'll have to ask you about it. Yeah. Once I'm farther yeah. than two pages Deeper into in, your But that's what I've just bought. Mm-hmm. Um, Rachel Cusk. Yeah. yeah. And you'll be at Literati this evening. And so yes. they will tempt you with many other things I can't to wait. buy. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then in addition to what you're reading now, I'm interested in what you're writing now. Have you, it sounds like you very, very recently finished this novel. So have you thought about what's next in your writing life? Yes. And no, in terms of fiction, I'm giving myself some space and some time. In terms of um, my own writing, I'm always writing. I'm thinking of different essays at the moment that I want to work through, but I'm trying to figure out 
the way that I, I, I don't want to approach the essays as, um, okay, this is what the essay is going to be about, but I'm just trying to ask myself now, what are the questions that, that you want to understand through these moments? And so right now I'm trying to figure out some of those, those questions. Um, yeah, I, I know I'm being very vague. That's okay. <laughs> Not everyone wants to talk about what they're, yeah. what they're writing now. Um, I want to thank you again so much for joining us, Fatima Farheen Mirza. Thank you. Uh, this was so fun. Oh, it's fun to have you. Um, your new novel, your first novel, yes. is A Place for Us. And we look forward to reading uh, much more from you in the future. Thank you. Thanks for being on The Living Writer Show. We're going to go out with a Radiohead song Great. that you chose, Fog. Thanks again. Saturday morning at 9am, WCBN presents American Vernacular, a program dedicated to original performances of homemade music. From the parlors, kitchens, and backyards in communities across the country, displaying an incredible variety of regional styles. Vocal and instrumental. Sacred and secular. Songs and tunes from quadrilles and waltzes to quick steps and cakewalks. Blues, ballads, breakdowns, and reels. Join us Saturday mornings at 9am on WCBN. Back about when you hear a good old time piece on the bed like Sirewood Mountain or walking the parlor or sand or something, or 
It puts a thrill in you that you just can't express. Ozone House provides an array of free services to runaway and homeless youth, youth in crisis, and their families. If you are having trouble in school or at home, need someone to talk to or a place to stay, please call 734-662-2222, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. All of our services are free, voluntary, and confidential, and have been since 1969. Call 734 662 2222 Ozone House There is a safe place I am tired I am weary I could sleep For a thousand years A thousand dreams That would awake me You're listening Listening to WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Get ready to move your ass. Hello to all our Romper Room friends. Today is going to be a very special day because if you listen very closely and do just as we say, you're going to start to grow into a physically fit new you. How are we going to do it? Well, that's what's going to be so much fun. We're going to sing all the romper room songs and games that make us get our muscles working.